So we started first with the change experience, that Jesus anticipates change. That when we come to Christ, he is expecting for something to change. In fact, we're expecting it. Not one of you would be in this building today if you didn't expect something to change about your life. You're expecting that through the word of God preached and heard, and through the study of the word of God, and through understanding the intimacy that we can have in Christ, that something in your life will be better, that it will change. It's a fundamental idea of what it is to come to Jesus, that we understand something about us changes. The second thing we talked about was the water experience or baptism. That is a reflection of that change that we go under the water, we are immersed, and we come out with a public declaration that we are changed, that we've chosen a different life path, that we've said the old things of who we are are dead in that water, and we come up resurrected as Christ was resurrected anew. The third thing we talked about was the fire experience, that there's a Holy Spirit and fire that comes on us. In the upper room, they waited for the promise of God as they waited as their Messiah had then translated into heaven. Those who were devout and followed Jesus waited for the promise that a comforter would come, that there would be someone who would come and endow them with supernatural ability, that they would set them on fire, and it led this march that the early church would be on. And today we're going to talk about the fourth, and I believe one of the most, most important of the seven commands or experiences of Jesus and that is to tell. We are not supposed to keep this thing of our relationship with God to ourselves. We are to be those who march out into our communities, those who reach out into our spheres of influence, those who impact culture with something to say that Jesus changed our life. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. And if you'd like to reference the story in the three other gospel, or two other Gospels, uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll find this story in uh, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8 as well. And you'll, oh wait, no, it's not Luke chapter 8. No, yes it is. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 and 30 something. Anyway, whatever. My mind drew a blank there. It, I think it's on the screen. It's on my notes. But it's Matthew 5, or Matthew 8, Luke 8. And Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to start today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the beginning part of Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to recap the story. So Jesus comes to a town. And there's a man who's possessed by the devil and literally goes out to meet Jesus. Now this guy was so crazy, he was kind of the town lunatic as it would be, that he would run around and cut himself with stones and he knew the local village. He knew it very, very well. He knew every square foot. He knew how to press their buttons. He knew what it was to terrorize the community. And this man who's crazy walks up to Jesus. And Jesus calls to the man and he tells the demons to come out of him. And the demonic influence in this man responds to Jesus. It's not your time. Don't mess with us. They reply to him. What are you going to do with us? You're the son of God, the God most high, aren't you? Come on, what, what is this about? They beg him. They beg him not to torment them. These spirits beg of the person of Christ, don't torment us. Our time hasn't come yet. And they say to Jesus, just send us away. So Jesus does as they ask. He sends them away and they go into a herd of pigs, roughly twenty or 2,000 pigs. And these pigs rush off a steep bank and into the sea and they're drowned and they're dead. There's some very interesting things here that will, nuances that will unpack about the story here in just a moment. But the demonically possessed man is now in the story, he's, he's dressed, he's whole, he's restored back to sanity. 
He's no longer the crazy guy that used to run around and cause all kinds of ruckus. Now he's part of the community. In fact, he is so within his wherewithal, he's so within his right mind that he asked Jesus, can I please be one of your disciples? Can I follow you? We'll pick up the story here in verse 18. Jesus was getting in the boat and the the demon-delivered man begged him to go along, but he wouldn't let him. Jesus said to him, go home to your own people. Tell your story, what the master did and how he had mercy on you. The man went back and began to preach to the ten towns, to the ten town area, about what Jesus had done for him. He was the talk of the town. Now let me explain something as we start to unpack this story. Here's a crazy person, someone that everyone understood and knew his background. They knew this guy caused all kinds of trouble, and they knew that something was wrong with him. Most of us come to Christ in that parameter. We come to Jesus, and we're not our sane self. We come to Jesus a little bit maybe off-hinged. Maybe we come to Jesus, and life isn't perfect. We come to Jesus with a past. We come to Jesus marked by our community. We come to Jesus at times even as an outcast. This gentleman came with a powerful story. This person who was running around crazy, around the graveyards, cutting himself. This man who was not in control of all of his faculties, this man who everyone could look at and say there's something definitively wrong, now becomes sane. He's in his right mind. He puts clothes on instead of running around naked. And from there, he says something interesting to Jesus. I want to be with you. Jesus says, I understand, but I've got a job to do with these 12. But you've got a job to do with your story. You've got a job to do with the impact that could be made on your community. You've got something to tell. Go to your own people. Tell them your story. This is actually the clarion call of Christ to all of those who come to him. Many of us want to serve Jesus. God, how can I serve you better in the church? God, how can I give more and give back to you for what you've done for me? God, how can, I, how can I do something to prove my adoration and my love to you? And his number one command is always, go to your people and tell them your story. His command is never sit on the sidelines. His command is never just, just simply do the work, do the work of being a Christian. No, his command is always go to your people and tell your story. We have a community around us is now quoted as being the 15th most post-Christian cities in America. And that's because not enough Christians in this area are going to their own people and telling their story. The Bible is very clear that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice of Christ, and the word of our testimony. If the culture that we live in isn't the culture that we want to see, it's because we're not, we're not telling our story enough. If the culture that we see around us isn't the culture that we want our children to grow up in, it's because we're not verbalizing the story enough. The, Jesus did his part. The blood's already been shed. It's already been let. That cross has already made a way. He has already become the propitiation, just a big theological word to say, a stand-in for you. That, that has already happened. He doesn't need to do it again. 
As we talked about a couple weeks ago, that I have been crucified with Christ is the idea that I have been crucified by no action of my own, that Christ crucified me, and I did it. It was a, it's a statement of fact alongside with him, and that in that moment, it never needs to be repeated. So we need to quit going back to the cross as a place to rehash what God has already gave us the victory in and learn that that story is what brings change in our culture. The story that you carry... Not just the story of Jesus. Not just the idea, because man, many people know the facts about Christ. Many people, most folks in our communities, know the idea that he was maybe supposedly born of a virgin birth. We get that around Christmas. That he was this little baby whose mother and father cared for, they waited for, and that men from the east came to see, and that there was maybe a bad guy named Herod who was chasing down and killing children who could potentially be the Messiah, and that Jesus was spared, and that he grew up. And that he grew up in a, in, in a culture, in a community that was religious and devout. <laughs> so many people think Mary, you know, Mary, mother of God, how holy she was. Mary lost Jesus for three days. <laughs> Hail Mary, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you lost the son of... Anyway, I'll get off that and go back. Mary's not perfect, neither, neither was Joseph. He was born into a regular family just like you and I. In that moment... There was a story being built of who the Son of God would be that would eventually translate to us as individuals that the marker of Christ or what it means to be a Christian would be the thumbprint of God pushed down on our heart and so that we would be able to stand strong and tell our story of deliverance. And let me recap a little more of this story here in Mark chapter 5. This demonically crazed man was running around town and it says that he was cutting himself with stones. That's a bad King James translation. What it was is this man was starting to mimic what the world around him was doing to him. When he would come into culture, when he would come into the town, they would start to hurl stones at him and stone him to get him to go away. That's how they dealt with crazy people. Thank God we have evolved since that time, and we don't treat people that way. But they would literally, when someone that was crazy and they couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to control, they, they bound him, they, they, put, uh, they put chains on him, and he found a way to escape and break through every time. And they got to the point where the, the, the city, the, the crowd, the community said, if he comes around again, just throw rocks at him. And so in mimicking this behavior, this man uses the stones as a way to show the people, the culture around him, their heart. And he literally uses the stones back at himself and throwing and hitting himself with rocks and hitting his flesh and cutting his flesh with rocks. The fact is, most of us come from a culture before we meet Jesus that has turned our own sins against us. And this is one of the hardest things to overcome when we talk about telling our story. We're afraid that people are going to pick up those same rocks, the story of your past, and start hurling them back at us. But you used to be that guy. You used to be that person. You used to live outside the city limits. You used to be the outcast. I know I did, but look, I'm in my sane mind now. I know that who, who I used to be. But you've got to understand, I'm wearing new clothes now. I'm not running around with the same crowd anymore. I've changed. God himself came in and delivered me. And the moment Jesus speaks deliverance, even the demonic forces in him recognize the voice of Christ. And they ask him, they beg him, don't, don't torment us. What they're talking about is the eventual day where they will be held captive in hell itself. And it's not time for that. They understood 
the clock, the heavenly clock that ticks by when their time will be up. They said, it's not time for that moment. Please just cast us away. And they cast, Jesus cast them into a group of pigs, about 2,000. And they took those pigs and they ran them off a cliff and they killed each one of them. You know, the crowd was more angry that the pigs died than a man got delivered. They were more upset about the pigs, the herd of pigs being killed. These are Jewish people. They don't eat bacon. What were they upset for? They were much more upset that these animals would be murdered in this exchange than seeing the life that's in the person. There are going to be people around you that watch your story. They see the deliverance that happens. They understand and hear your story. They're going to be more upset that you're free and how you got free than they're going to rejoice with you that you are free. Move on from them. Understand that their opinion doesn't necessarily matter. Listen, as we unpack this story, point number one, the possessed man looks for Jesus. There are people in our communities and in our culture right now who are looking for Jesus. They are tied up in their sin. They are bound up in their sin. They are overcome by an oppressive spirit that they can't get away from. They are looking for Jesus, and they will never find him if we don't tell our story. They will not experience him if we don't go out as soldiers marching in our communities to let them know that there's a Christ who can set them free, a Christ crucified who is the answer to all of their problems. Some of us, some of us were a little overcome. Some of us were a little taken back. Some of us weren't in our, in our right frame of reference and we still knew that we need to, to seek out Jesus. There was still something in you that drew you into the doors of a church or drew you into a relationship with a person of faith. There is something even in those who feel like the world is coming against them, that they are so far from God, they're the farthest thing away from him. There's something in them that still wants to draw them back to Christ, that still wants to draw them back to this story because we know there's life change that hangs there. Point number two, the possessed man was used to the pain of his condition. He was so used to the pain of his condition that he would mock the surrounding community by throwing stones at himself and hitting himself with stones. He was so used to the pain of his condition that he would use the hurling insults against himself. This is an outward display of what happens many times in our own minds. We become trapped. We become trapped in our way of being and we start to use the cycle of even verbal abuse that we hear from the community against ourselves. And because we use it against ourselves, we don't see the path clear to freedom that is in Christ. He was so used to the pain of his, of his, of his condition. In other words, he was self-deprecating and self-harming. There's a community around us that needs to hear your story of how Jesus helped you free yourself from your self-harm from your self-deprecation. Some of you used to have nothing but negative thoughts about yourself, but Jesus entered the scene. Some of you used to be at a place where all you saw was the negativity of your past decisions, but Jesus wiped the slate clean. There are people who need to know that's possible. You need to go tell them. There are many folks in our communities who all they know in the constant conversation in their brain is how little and how low they are, yet Christ puts them on a pedestal and says, no, you have been crowned with glory and honor or dignity and worth, that you have value that I've ascribed to you. 
He was so consumed with the pain of his condition that he couldn't see past the hurling insults, the mockery, the pushing away of the culture and society. These possessed spirits are cast out and they kill a herd of pigs. As I mentioned before, it's symbolic of the mob killing that tried to take this man's life many times. It's also symbolic of the time that Jesus himself irritated culture and they meant to throw him off a cliff. The Bible literally gives us no answer to this riddle, but it says that Jesus passed through them. An angry mob decided they were going to throw Jesus off a cliff, and he passed through them. I don't know if Jesus put up his dukes and threw down, or if it was miraculous and he just kind of whips through them as the Holy Spirit gave him the ability. We don't have an answer to that. All we know is that if you push on culture too much, they will get offended. We know that if you push on the culture around too hard, if you tell them too loudly of your story, if you speak too strongly of delivering and saving power that is in Christ Jesus, they will eventually get upset with you. They will eventually turn the miracle that is your experience against you and say, how dare you get free? How dare you find freedom? Move on from them. Understand they're not who your story belongs to. They're not who needs to hear your story. There are other people who will identify with it. They'll connect with it. They'll commune with you in that story, and you will see great breakthrough. But if someone's hard to you, if the culture around you doesn't want to believe you that you've changed, if the people next to you can't see that God's powers at work within you, move on to the next one. Society at times can't deal with our issues. No one understands. No one really gets it. And all they want to do is silence you, shut you up, and keep you in a box. And here's the reason. Because if you can get freedom, as crazy as you are, as broken as your past is, as devastating as the choices that you've made, if you can find freedom, then what's their excuse? If you can find freedom in Christ and they hear your story, now they are faced with a decision. Do I trust in the Christ that they now serve, or do I, do I go on in my brokenness? There are way too many people in this world that are comfortable living in their broken state. There are way too many people that in this world as a collective are too good at being part of the in-crowd and pushing off the outsiders. And because they're part of the in-crowd, they feel like they've got it together. Life is so much more than a high school clique. And at some point, we've got to get our brains around the idea that I don't want to be cool anymore. I want to be under the banner of Christ and him crucified. I want to be free. I want to be forgiven. Listen, I'd rather be a dork and forgiven under Jesus' blood than cool and in the right crowd and bound up in my sin any day. The possessed man is, is now dressed and fully restored to sanity. And immediately he asks Jesus, how do, I get a, how do I get to be a part of your team? Immediately the man says, okay, Jesus, I'm in, my, I'm in my right mind. I'm clothed again. I'm whole again. All this symbolic nature here that he's in his right mind. He's, he's got this new set of clothes on, this new exterior, this new persona. Got his new finely tailored suit. He's ready to be a part of the team. And Jesus' words are so poignant. Go to your people. Tell your story. Some of us are waiting for Jesus to call us onto the team before we step out into something great. Let me, let me explain what happened here. 
When this man heard the words of Jesus, go to your people, tell your story, Jesus was then doing the whole sign of the cross thing verbally. He's anointing him. He's showing him, this is your land. These are your people. You take it, son. You take it, daughter. Take the land I'm giving you. When you come to Christ and there's the revelation of who he is, he's breaking off all the dead things around you, making you new, restoring your life. This go-tell moment is about understanding that you have a mission field that God has called you to. That the best way for you to be on the team isn't necessarily what happens underneath the roof of a church. I thank every single one of you for coming out last week, for painting walls, for fixing divots, for helping us change that, that, that facility into a place that's going to be workable for us in the future. But that is not the ultimate goal. A building, as Lori said before, will burn to the ground someday. All of this is going to come up in flames someday. It's going to literally mean nothing. But the only thing that we will take with us are the people whose lives we've affected for the gospel. And I refuse to find heaven as my home alone. I am just waiting for that day when there's a line of people behind me that I can say honestly to God himself, I did everything I knew to do. I told everyone I knew to tell. Every person that you put on my heart with a burden to share, I shared with them in one way or another. God, this is what I could, this is what I could bring you. The Bible literally tells us that in that moment that, that there'll be like jewels in our crown of the lives that we've seen saved and that every single one of us will go before We'll go before the throne of God and we'll throw our crowns at his feet as a symbolic gesture that everything that we've done is for him, that every life that we've seen saved is for him, that every go-tell moment that we've had in our culture and in our communities was for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that we would lay it down at his feet and say, I've done it all. That we would do our best to say, I've gone to my people and I've shared my story. Many of us are all excited about missions Missions are great. I love short-term missions trips. I'm itching to take another one. It'll be all kinds of fun and exciting. But that's not the fulfillment of this message. Your people, your story. Who's around you that you can talk to? Who's with you that you can connect with? Who's in your sphere of influence that needs to hear this message of Jesus? It doesn't have to be preaching from a pulpit. It doesn't have to be these high, uh, these high levels of, of religiosity where we break out a Bible in King James and thus saith the Lord, sometimes it's as simple as sharing what you went through and how Jesus saved you. Most of the time, it's as simple as sitting someone down and saying, listen, I was where you're at. You know, the funny thing about going and telling our story is that God always brings people across our path who we can relate to. He always brings people across our path who seem to be going through some of the same things we were going through. Lori and I have never, ever had a perfect marriage. There have been times in our life where our marriage was hard. Anybody been married for a length of time? Yeah, you know marriage can get difficult. There are sometimes you come home, you love that other person, but you just don't like them. Like, it's, it's everything you can do to say, you know what, I'm going to leave today, but I'll stay because of the kids, you know. You just get, you get testy. And we've had moments where it was hard and difficult. In fact... That's one of the areas that we've been very successful with in sharing our story with others is those who are having issues in their marriage because we've been there. We've done it. It's hard. It's not easy. Some of you went through drug use. You used drugs way more than you needed to. Well, than you should have at all. 
You used all kinds of things that you're ashamed of, yet God delivered you and rescued you. Don't be surprised when someone's addicted shows up on your doorstep. Some of you used alcohol way too much and you were, you were fast and loose with the alcohol. Let's be honest. God's going to put somebody in your path who needs to hear the story of how you've been delivered. Some of you have been broken in your body like it's been serious sickness. God's going to put people in your path who are sick so you can share with them your story. There are all of these moments where we connect now as the same person reclothed in our right mind not who we used to be. The, the, the community around us sees the change and we tell our story to our people. But you've got to identify who your people are. Someone's going to relate to you. Man, if you're a bow hunter, you hunt deer on the weekend, one of the best ways to connect with someone's in deer stand. Driving out to the property on that big pickup truck. Showing them that in a normal everyday conversation that you can show the impact that God has had on your life. It doesn't have to be crazy and religious. It needs to be here and now in our present day. That our go-tell moments are those average ordinary moments that most of us look over, that we look past because we're not sure how God's at work. Because we're not so in tune with the voice of the Holy Spirit that we can hear him speaking. Now's the time. Here's the moment. This is why I connected you. There are people in your life, I'm sure, that you're wondering why God on earth would we be connected? Why would we be linked up? Why would we connect arms together? Why would we fellowship for that moment that's coming where God will pull back the veil, show you intimate details of their heart and their life, and they will mirror and match things that you've gone through. And you will be able to speak directly to that situation. Remember, your people, your story. This possessed man becomes the apostle of his town. The first apostle ever in his town. He begs to be on Jesus' team, but then gets given a title that's much higher. Apostle, some of you might be thinking, that seems like a really heavy religious title. It is. It simply means sent one who sends others. That's all an apostle really is, a sent one who sends others, that this man becomes someone in his community that others look to. He's sent by Christ to share his story to his people in his context, in his community. And because of that, other folks come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and he starts to send them out into their communities to connect with their people and life change happens on a greater scale. He told him to stay in his homeland and to tell his story. The greatest thing that you can do for Jesus, the greatest thing you can do as a Christian, the greatest thing you can do as a discipled person of God is to tell your story to your people. But first you have to identify who your people are. Your people are going to look like you and smell like you. Your people are going to act like you. Your people are going to talk like you. You're going to have shared backgrounds. You're going to have a shared history, something you can relate to. And you might be thinking to yourself, I'm so far past that old life, Pastor. I don't want to relive it. I'm not telling you to relive it. I'm not telling you to go back to the past and live there. I'm telling you that with the strong arm of God behind you to reach down dirty into someone's mess of their life into an experience that you understand, roll your sleeve up and help pull one out and rescue one. I'm a comic book nerd. I used to, in, in, when I was a teenager, well, even younger than that, I, my mom used to go to the mall. When the malls were popular before Amazon and all that stuff, you know, in the, in the early 90s and late 80s, I used to go to the mall, South Park Mall to be specific, and uh, there's a small bookstore there. My mom would go shopping, and God knows how long we were in the mall because it felt like all day. 
<laughs> anyway, I mean, she likes to shop. It's for real. It's not a joke. It's not like one of those old 80s jokes, women be shopping. Like, it's for real. She likes to shop. But anyway, we were, uh, we're at the mall for who God knows how long. And I'd stand in front of this, this ma the rag magazine rack, excuse me, of all of these comic books. And it was the new week of editions that would come out. And I'd read through one after another. And one of my favorite stories was the introduction of the Flash to the Justice League. And though, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's going to go over your head for a minute. Oh, well. But he's trying to decide how best to use his powers and abilities. What should he do to be a part of the team? And he's given a, a, a directive by Batman. He says, save just one. Save one person, you'll know what to do next. Later on, this line made it into the movie, The Justice League, that premiered a few years ago. But it's such a powerful idea. The many of us are standing in front of folks who need rescued. We're asking God, what do we do? What's our next move? And he's literally shouting in our ear, save one, you'll know what to do next. Save one person, get involved in one life, connect with one person, find out one person's story and where you match and mirror their experiences. Pull them out of that mess and I guarantee you, you'll know what the next move is. Our conversion story it's not a one-time event. Our conversion story is a lifetime of conversions if we'll pass it on to one person and to the next and to the next. It's a conversion story that emerges in others. Our conversion story is a conversion story that lights a path for other people to walk. Our conversion story draws other people to the light of the gospel. Our conversion story of the goodness of God is a story that cannot be silenced. The Bible talks about it like this, that it's a, it's a light on a hillside. And that if there's darkness surrounding the hillside, who would light their lamp and put a bushel over it or put a basket over it? No, we let the light shine before men so that they can see the path, so that they can see the direction and where they should go. Our conversion story is a conversion story that hits the byline of this church to change lives. Reaching people and changing lives is about sharing your story. It's about your go-tell moment where you reach into the life of somebody else, pull them from where they are into a lifestyle of freedom found in Christ. It doesn't mean you're going to have all the answers. It doesn't mean you know the next steps. It means one person on your list, go after them. Maybe it's inviting them to the church. Maybe it's inviting them to a small group. Maybe, maybe it's just inviting them to a church event so they recognize that not all, not all church people are crazy. We're not going to make them eat a live chicken, at least not on their first visit. We'll figure it out later. Listen, people think the church is crazy. They think we don't relate. People think different churches with different word usages are just nuts off the wall swinging from the chandeliers. If it's all for Jesus, great, but most of the time it's for show. Most of the time it's craziness crept into the church. Listen, we need to come to a place of real, honest, heartfelt discussion to connect with people in our spheres of influence, to use our go-tell moments to relate to someone to bring them into the kingdom. Remember to tell your story to your generation and to the next. You are not who you used to be. This gets me a little bit caught up sometimes because I think of my own kids. Some of you have children, young children. Some of you have older children and adult children. I think of my own children. 
and the moment in time where I'll have to sit down with them and to tell them why we do what we do as a family. Why do we serve God the way we do? Why do we go to church? Why do we tithe? Why do we give our time, our talent, our energy? Why do we go and try to find people who are far from God, reach them and bring them into the community of faith? Why do we do what we do? There'll be a time where I get to tell my young sons because daddy and mommy are not who they used to be. You don't know the daddy and mommy that used to be in this shell of a man. That you don't know the person who I used to be, the hard-hearted nature I had, the malice I had in my heart, that I thought I was perfect because I did everything that the church asked me to. Look down on people with disgust that wouldn't commit the way I had. Just being honest as a pastor. Moments in time where I just felt like I was so much better than others until the very nature of God cut me down to show me you are no better than anyone. You better be humble because anything you have and anything you think you've done can be taken from you in a moment to such a degree that, I, man, I ignored so many different things that I should have done. I ignored the voice of the Holy Spirit so many different times because I thought I was above that connection. I thought I was above that communication. I thought I was above that moment of community. I have to explain to those boys someday, that's who I used to be. That everything I do as a Christian, part of my conversion story is letting them know I'm not that same person. Some of the songs say, I'm not that wretched man that I was. Many of you are going to have a story, an impasse, where you tell just your family, not who I used to be. The person you know is dead and gone. He's buried in baptism. I've come up new. A new fire sparked in my heart. I've changed. And now I have to tell you what's happened. These four stages happen so fast at some, in some times. And sometimes they drag out, it seems, over a lifetime. The change happens. We know we're renewed in Christ. The baptism moment happens. We go under the water. We confess to the world around us, to our peers and our family, that we're leaving the old dead man behind and we're coming up new. A new fire or passion is sparked in our heart as the Holy Spirit comes and lights on us. But then many of us get hit at this impasse to go and tell. How, how many people, who have you told of this story? As time passes, I'm sure people will forget about the demoniac. His story's written down in Scripture, but we don't really understand the story. We don't really get the, the full nuances of the story. We get these images written down in the Bible of a naked man running through a graveyard, throwing stones and cutting himself. But we don't get the nuances of what it must have felt like to be terrorized by that individual as he came knocking and running through your door and your house. We don't get how terrifying it must have been to see our children watch a crazy person cut themselves and bleed. We don't get how frustrating it must have been to bind him with ropes and to bind him with chains that he broke loose. We forget the nuances of the story. We forget the emotions of the story. In your life, that's going to happen too. In fact, some of you have been in this process of change so long, people have forgotten who you used to be. I'm not telling you to go back and live in those moments, but I am saying remind them from time to time. I didn't used to be who I am today. You forget I wasn't perfect. You forget I wasn't the man I am today. You forget how broken I really was. Because in those moments, those truthful moments, again, not reliving, but helping them understand I've been where you're at. In those truthful moments, your story's heard loudly. 
See, what we do as Christians as we talk about our victories, I've been healed in Jesus, hallelujah. And we forget to tell them how, how much pain we were in when we weren't healed. We forget to tell people that as our marriage is restored, God restored my marriage, but you forget there was a moment I had a pillow over her face and I was thinking, this is it, Jesus. I'm going to prison or going home. Come on. We forget those moments of real life where we had a real honest impasse, a broken emotional moment, and we forget to bring those back to the surface in an honest way and say, listen, I know what you're feeling. I've been there too. Let me tell you my story. You're my people now. You're part of my connection. You're part of my movement. You're part of my class. You're mine. We relate. Hear my story. But the stories that we relive, the stories that we share from day to day, the values of our conversation that are shared in our story are what help us overcome. The Bible's very clear. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the sacrifice of Christ. It's already been accomplished. And the word of their testimony, the nuanced story that you bring to the table. Why is everyone here crowned with glory, honor, dignity, and worth? Because you have a story to tell that no one else can tell. You have a story of your life to tell that no other person on the planet can tell, and someone needs to hear it. Don't let the enemy lie to you that your story is insignificant. Don't let anyone lie to you that your story doesn't matter. Don't let anyone tell you that what you've gone through was for nothing. If for anything, it was to show someone out there who's hopeless and who's on the verge and on the edge that there is hope if they come running to this cross. So this morning, 